0: Father, we um, acknowledge our need for you. It's a never-ending need because you sustain our lives. And at the same time, Lord, we recognize that um, you want more of us. So I ask for grace and for an empowered will for all of us this morning to open ourselves to you, not just to recognize our need, but Lord, um, to give you ourselves. So we open ourselves to you. Come and do your work in us, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay. If you stand with me for a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. Uh, find someone and tell them your worst sin. No, no, no. That's second service. Um, first service. Here's here's what I would ask you to do. Take a minute or so to do this. Um, this will take some honesty, but not that bad. Um, What's the prevailing attitude in your life right now? You got one word. One word. Prevailing attitude. Some may say hopeless, some may say thrilled, some may choose to lie and say fine. You can do that, okay? <laughs> just share with someone. Prevailing attitude. We're not going into a ministry time. We're just beginning to open our hearts to reality. So find someone, share. I'll give you twenty four seconds. Murmur, 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 murmur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Doing well. Well done. Okay, I'll put the... Put you guys out of your misery now. After you've uttered your word, displayed the contents of your heart, you can find your seat again. I I see some laughing. I see some crying. I see some... Turns out we're we're all real people. We used to have a um, a magnet on our uh, refrigerator, and it was just I don't know it maybe 20 or 25 different little faces, and then um, it was uh, you put a little circle around or you there was a little magnetic thing that you could put around that says I feel, and then there was a look like usually um like a mad face or disappointed or excited. Am I just talking to myself? Have you seen those things? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You know what I recognized early on? I could actually decide where I would put my little magnet. I, in spite of the fact that I might go up to the refrigerator and feel... I don't think there was one that said ticked off, but there was something that looked like that. I, I did realize early on that in spite of just being honest with the refrigerator, at, at, sometimes I could declare to the refrigerator, you know, how I actually wanted to live the day. Um... God spoke to me this week and he said, uh, to talk about attitude. And, uh, I don't know if it was because mine's bad or yours is bad, but we'll, <laughs> we'll find out along the way. So let's, um, let's just take, um, 20 or 30 seconds and be silent before God. So let your hearts rest. Be at peace in God's presence. Uh, recognize that, uh, the beginning of God's work or, uh, is not constituted by the beginning of my words, but by what he's been doing in your life until this point. So just sort of set yourselves in the flow of what God's doing in your life and let him begin to speak. Back at 2.20 <clears throat> says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. Father, uh, we've chosen just for these few seconds uh, the holy response to a holy God, just to be quiet. So Lord, as you did in the beginning in Genesis, we ask that you'd speak into the silence. Speak to these hearts that are now open and waiting and uh, attentive. Lord, our... Our desires that uh, at the end of these minutes together we would actually walk out of this building, looking and acting and thinking and feeling more like Jesus, so that He'll be worshipped throughout the land. We pray in His name, Amen. Okay. Um, So I'm going to try to keep this uh, message on attitude positive. Okay, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about grumbling. Okay, Um, any grumblers here this morning? Don't put up your hands. (laughs) I actually encountered a number of, like, surprisingly number of particularly joyful people this morning, like genuine smiles, so that was really encouraging for me. You know there is a price for grumbling, right? Uh, I won't read the whole passage, but Numbers 14, 26 to 38. I'll read you a little bit of it. No, I won't. I forgot that. uh, Numbers 14, 26 to 38. Um, The Israelites are now free uh, to go into the promised land. And um, out there in the wilderness, after God's done the great exodus, remember we talked about that about a month ago, the exodus, um, some of the people start to grumble. And the Lord actually um, is pretty serious about grumbling. The scripture actually says, God speaking to Moses, he says, or uh, to Joshua, he says, I, I'm going to forgive the people. He says that, I, I've forgiven the people as you asked, but those grumblers are not going into the promised land. Interesting. Um, God's forgiven them. He's not holding it against them, but their grumbling costs something, right? It it costs the realization of a promise. So I'm just going to let you toy with that one for the next 20 minutes, trying to figure out, you know, <clears throat> how God works. But there is, a, there is a theme throughout the Bible that we get to actually choose how we interact with God and, and how we interact with the world. The disposition we take towards life. Our stance towards life. And this is not about personality, okay? My, um, my happy, joyful friend, Dave Knoll, he, he will sometimes call me and say, Hello, my melancholy friend. <laughs> because I tend towards the minor themes in life, all right? I like to cry. I'm a weirdo, all right? There's something that makes it real, life real for me. But, but I don't need to go through life crying. I have a, I have a choice. <clears throat> Uh, Philippians 2.14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or or disputing. Now, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say do all things, okay? It doesn't say you have to do whatever you're told. It just says when you decide to do what you're going to do, do it without grumbling and disputing, right? We tried to teach this to our kids (laughs) early on. Yeah, there's a little laugh there. (laughs) Ha! Good one, you know. You want the attitude in your children to be yes on the inside and the outside, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So I'm going to talk about attitude this morning. Um, Definition of attitude. A position or feeling indicative of feeling, opinion, or intention toward a person or thing. A position or feeling indicative, that means it just indicates or shows what your feeling, opinion, or intention is towards a person or a thing. I, I, I kind of recrafted that definition, and here's what I would say an attitude is, practically speaking. It's the words you speak, aloud and silently, which over time form your feelings and opinions and dictate your general intentions in life. A- attitude is not just what pops into your head. Its Attitude is what you pop into your head. Attitude, is, it's all about words. It's the words you speak. Some of them are out. Some of our attitudes come out. Some of our attu- attitudes are internal. But it's the words we speak, aloud or silently, which over time, like a river running down a, a stream bed, right, over time, actually form your feelings and opinions and dictate, dictate your general intentions in life. <clears throat> So I want, to, uh, I want to say three things about attitude this morning. And now I've gone off my normal. Normally I would take a text and bring three or four things out of the text. But uh, this just came to me like this. So I just want to look at the reality of how we deal with the attitudes in our lives and how we form an overcoming attitude. Because God has a desire for us to overcome. God has a desire for us to actually prosper in life. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. Acknowledge the power of the words you speak. Acknowledge the power of the words you speak, whether silently or aloud. You've got to acknowledge that your words, the internal ones and the external words, they they actually have power. They have power. I'm not going to go into a name it and claim it gospel here. I am going to go straight to the scriptures. Psalm 19, 14 May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, we can please God or not with our words and with our thoughts. doesn't mean we can't be honest with him. But the psalmist says here, Lord, here's my desire. I want to walk out into the world with this stance. May the words of my mouth and the meditations, the Hebrew word is like, is the same word that they use for a cow chewing its cud. Why do they call it cud? I don't know. There's probably a story there. Meditations, what do you chew on? What goes on over and over? And the psalmist says, this is what I want, God, my attitude towards life. I want the words of my mouth, what comes out of here, and the meditations, what I'm constantly chewing on in my heart, I want them to be pleasing to you. It's a prayer. God, do this in me. Matthew 12:34. Jesus is speaking and he says, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. You want to know what someone's feeling. Listen to their words. Listen to their words. You know, it's, uh, I've heard the example like this. You know, if you, if you leave a pot of flowers in water for how long? You know, three years or something. The, the water gets a little smelly. <clears throat> you can't tell that unless you knock the water over. And when you knock the water over, you find out what the contents are. It's sometimes like that with our lives. We can go along in a certain way, and then we get knocked a little bit, and all of a sudden, you know, are there any spouses here? Okay, right, thank you. You, get, you just knock them a little bit, or you get knocked a little bit, and you realize, where did that come from? It came from your heart, contents of your heart. The, uh, um, there's power in your words, and you can focus your heart... By the words you speak there's there are um, there 's a power in the words that you speak uh, Jane and I have a friend his name 's Jim uh, we were, We served as missionaries with him a long, long time ago, but i 'll never forget the story Jim told. He was a good storyteller. Every story Jim told was about an hour long didn 't matter what it was about it was about an hour long. This one I remember was a little shorter he uh, He and his brothers, they were maybe eight, ten, and twelve, something like that were on the way with their family to. Um, a big amusement park. They were from Illinois. I think they were going to Six Flags Over something. And um, so they're on their way to this amusement park, just the three boys and the parents. And the boys are starting to get on each other in the back seat, you know, as boys will tend to do. And they're fighting, and they're fighting, and it's one hour, and it's an hour and a half, and it's two hours. And finally the dad does the pull over the car, side of the road, look back, and he basically says, If I hear one more peep out of you, we're we're turning around and going home. Just like that. And so I I love the way Jim tells the story. I wish I could get him here to do it. But he says, And then my oldest brother, the most courageous and yet the most stupid of us, (laughs) says in a barely audible whisper, Peep. (laughs) And he said all three of them learned a lesson. The dad turned around without a word, and drove home. They did not go to Six Flags that summer. (laughs) Jim was weeping when he told me this story. (laughs) What is my point? My point is words have power, okay? Our words have power. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What was the little kid saying? You will not tell me what I can and can't do. Even if it's ever so mighty, I'll peep right back at you. And the father's response was, no, you won't. (laughs) Romans uh, 10, 8 to 10. Here's probably the way as believers we see the most power in our words. Romans 10, Paul's writing, he said this, the word is near you, speaking about the word of God, the word of faith. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is power in the words that you speak and in the meditations of your heart. Your words and your belief don't save you. God saves you by the work of Jesus. But the, the conveyance of that salvation is our faith. And our faith is exclaimed by words and heart. There's power there. God decided that we should have some mechanism of power in our own salvation. We accept it by our words and by our heart. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The words we speak, the meditations of their heart, they, our hearts, they are powerful. Proverbs 23, six and seven. It's a strange proverb. I I tried to get out of this one because I just wanted the King James that I liked, but I decided I'd be honest with you all, okay? So here's what the proverb says. In, in In the best translation the scholars can come up with, do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you, okay? You probably have seen that in a book or a quote, you know, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. To say, you better watch what you think because you'll become it. The the writer of the proverb here is saying, you know, you, you can tell when someone's with you. The contents of your heart make their way out of your mouth. And so he's saying, don't, you know, if you've got a selfish person, you know, you know they're selfish in their heart. You know, don't desire what they have because you know their heart's not with you. There's real power. You know, some of us actually repel other people by our attitudes. That's maybe a hard one to take this morning. But some of us, I've been one of those, we repel people with our attitudes. We decide how people will respond to us for them. And then we act out the behavior that makes them respond that very way. If you find yourself being repelled all over the place, you might stop looking at the other people. And ask someone who loves you enough to say, what is it? What, what's going on in my heart? What's coming out of my mouth? that act, It seems to set people against me. And the humble heart will receive the truth. And I think it can be healed. What are you spreading with words in your heart or through your mouth? What are you communicating with your life? This is one of the reasons that sarcasm is such a dangerous form of... Uh, humor. Now, I like jokes, okay? Sarcasm, I'm good at it. It's not my spiritual gift, but it's like my second. (laughs) Okay? And I get sarcasm. Sarcasm is essentially, you say something that's true and painful, but you say it in a way that's playful. Sarcasm says, I know you, and so I'll say a bad thing about you. Sarcasm also says, I know you so well, I'm not really going to care how much this hurts. I'm not saying sarcasm is sin. But if your life, if your attitude towards life is sarcasm, you're in trouble in your relationships. You're you're in trouble in your relationships. Watch sarcasm with your kids. Watch sarcasm with your spouse. Watch sarcasm with God. I mean... From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And our, 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 our words have power. What are you communicating to the people that you love? Do you know you can change an atmosphere with an attitude of purity versus sarcasm? You can do it. It's not easy. You junior high and high school students, it is not easy to overcome the sarcasm and just the flippant denial of any emotion out there in the world. But you can do it. I know because I have a youngest son who's got powerful words. I've seen my son turn a situation just by speaking something that's encouraging and positive. Not K-love, but something else. (laughs) Truth, affirmation, encouragement. There's power in it. There's power in it. The danger of sarcasm and the the power of encouragement in in what you form and what you spread. So that's number one. Recognize the power of your words, the unspoken ones and the spoken ones. Some of you, the sermon's over. You've got the next year to work on that. So you're free. (laughs) Some of you are going like this. (laughs) Number two, develop the liturgy of your heart. Develop the liturgy of your heart. Liturgy is just like something we go through. Some of you grew up in liturgical churches. There's a way that we go about worship. The Vineyard has a liturgy, basically. We do essentially the same thing each week. We know that God will show up. We, it just means we're people of habits. Do you know you have a liturgy in your life? Your, your, your habits, if we were to take a video of your, life, of your lives and just show your sort of individual habits of the day, you would be surprised how much of what you do, think, say, you do, think, and say every single day. Some famous guy whose name I can't remember, about 800 years ago, said we basically are made up of our habits. We're made up of our habits. So we have a, a liturgy in our heart. And our liturgy, like what we follow in our lives, it's, it's a liturgy with words and a liturgy with music. What are the words that you repeat? What are the words that come to you? What are the first words you think of or place in your mind when you wake up in the morning? What, what are the words that kind of center you, either due north or awkwardly southeast? I don't know if that was a bad analogy. What, what, what are the words that you basically live your life according to? For some of us, they're words that were spoken by an influential person when the cement of our hearts was still soft, and they're really hard to get etched out. God can do it. It's called healing prayer. What are those words that you live by? Someone who loves you, who knows you, they'll tell you. <laughs> Sometimes in counseling, I just will will listen for the words that are repeated over and over. And I'll say to people, you know, do you realize that you said four times X, Y, Z? And they're like, what? It's because from the, from the content of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a, there, there are words. I've told this story before, and for fun, I'll tell it again. Because uh, I love this man, my grand, my uh, my, <laughs> my wife's grandfather, Reverend Foster. He died about six years ago. Jane named him when she was two years old. Named him Dut Dut. So he was named Dut Dut forever. I met him and knew him as Dut Dut. And uh, Dut Dut had a uh, a word that he spoke to himself and to everyone around him, and in every letter he ever wrote, day after day after day, year after year after year. Um, as far as I knew him, for 25 years. And it was that scripture that says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's how he started his day. He did it over and over and over and over. And Dutta was one of the most joyful people I've ever met. Not because his life was easy. Chaplain in World War II, left his wife and newborn daughter for three years. Saw... Horror in World War II could never speak about it. Was at prison camps when they were when they were um, uh, freed. Saw things. Got uh, diabetes in, in about his 50s. Had to eventually give up everything he loved: golf, chocolate, golf, and chocolate. <laughs> had to give up pipe smoking, and he just kind of gave it all up. And at 92. Um, I saw him, you know, the day he died, he was still rejoicing in the day that God had made. Because I think there's power in his words. He just said it every day. Let's see, I could have a bad attitude or this could be the day the Lord's made. Maybe I could rejoice and be glad in it. And he spread the joy of the gospel everywhere he went. So the liturgy in your heart has words. I'll let you work on that. What are the words that, that form your liturgy? The liturgy of your heart has music too. Music is powerful. Don't need to go into a big explanation of that, right? Music is powerful. What's your theme song? What's the theme song of your life? You know, you get to choose the theme song of your life. You you get to choose the track that runs behind your life. And I'm not just talking what you choose to listen to, your musical thing, but I'm talking about what is what is the tenor of the music in your life? What, what, what runs over in your head? For about one year, when my kids were like 10, 7, and 5, we had these little demonic devices called Game Boys. And there was one little, um, there was one little game called Kirby's Dreamland. And there's music to Kirby's Dreamland. I don't dare do it because it'll be with me for another year. I mean, you know what that's like to get a song stuck in your head? You know what I do now when I get a song stuck in my head that's no good? I change the music, I flip the CD. You know, you're allowed to do that. You're human. You get to choose that which you set your mind upon. What's the theme song of your life? It's just, I'm in the sharing mode. So um, growing up, I watched a lot of TV, okay? The only person I think that watched more TV than me growing up was Barry Tucker. (laughs) Because Barry, our family pastor, comes up with things I don't even remember, you know? But I watched a lot of TV, you know, uh, that after-school time, 4 to 6, I watched a lot of TV. At some point in there, MASH was really big. And so I watched MASH every day. I've seen every MASH episode. Um, <clears throat> I learned to juggle because one time Hawkeye learned to juggle on MASH. I thought I ought to do that. So I just did it, watching MASH for the next year. Um, there's a song that plays at the beginning and end of MASH. It's, it's a haunting song. I didn't know the name of the song for years. I'd listen to it. I'd hear it every day, every day, every day, every day. I day. I'd think, man, what a kind of a depressing song, you know? You know what the name of the song is? Suicide is painless. Oh, well, thanks mom and dad for letting me listen to that one for four years. I mean, it's power, you know, that is not the, the theme song I want for my life. So Jane and I, um, in the family, we had somebody gave us a great gift recently. We were traveling, and I want to show a picture of our travels. Um, We were in a city uh, with a lot of people in it, and I was dead tired. It was maybe 5 in the afternoon, and we were walking through the city, and there was a lot of beauty in the city. It was a wonderful time, but I just kind of caught up in whatever, like time to go, I'm tired, my feet hurt, can I drink the water here, stuff like that. And um, we come up to this guy, his name's Tadeusz, He's a street performer. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people. We just walk up to the, we just walk up to this crowd gathered. And, and when you get into the crowd, all of a sudden the crowd is quiet. You know what I mean? Like there's a din all, and then you get close to the crowd and it just quiets. And all we hear is the music. And this won't touch you like it touched me. But the music he was playing on his guitar, he was playing, um, Gabriel's oboe. It's the theme of the movie The Mission. And I I, I wanted to get it. I didn't didn't have it on uh, audio for you. It's a powerful song for me of redemption and joy. And go to the next picture. I stood there. Jane took a picture. I didn't know it, but I stood there. I was enwrapped. I mean, it just the the song stopped me in my tracks. He was a great musician. We were in a beautiful city. Blah 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 blah. The song which I've listened to over and over and over again. I've seen the movie. It's my favorite movie called The Mission. Over and over and over again. That movie says to me this, that life is worth living to the full and that it's worth it to give my life for love. That's what it says to me. And when I hear that song, it it just stopped me. It changed my day when I heard that music. And all the kids, my kids know how I feel about that song, because sometimes they just want to be funny, and they'll say, hey, Dad, want to cry? And they put on the music. <laughs> so it just hit me, and I'm standing there, you know, powerful, and I'm having the feelings, you know? And so he stops, and everyone claps, and I went up and put some money in his, in his, in his case, you know? And I'm thinking there, what beautiful song will he play next? And he starts the beginning, uh, opening of Hotel California. I left. (laughs) Music has power, right? I didn't want to go there because you can never leave and all that stuff. (laughs) That just came right out. That was pretty good. So honestly, what's the theme song of your life? Don't let somebody else choose your theme song. You choose your own theme song. If someone has chosen a depressing song for your life, you get to change it. If you've got no other theme song, I'll give you one. It's called the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I won't sing it. I've done that once this year. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sometimes when I just need to express worship, I need to reset the the musical liturgy of my heart, I sing the doxology. It works. It's just like reframe. What is this all about? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Develop the liturgy of your heart, the words and the music. And finally, open yourself to the liturgy of heaven. You know, heaven has a theme song. And heaven has words that are consistently going. I I won't read them to you now. I'll let you do it on your own. Revelation 4 and 5. So open your Bible this week to Revelation 4 and 5. Last book of the Bible. Revelation 4 and 5 and you'll see what's being constantly sung and constantly reiterated and constantly declared in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty over and over and over. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. I mean that's that's the liturgy and the music of heaven. Read through Song of Solomon if you dare. That's the song of all songs. You know, it's, it's a description of Jesus and us. It's the music of heaven. Open it up and read it. That's what God's singing about. That's what we'll be singing about. Or if you have to, if you can come up with no other music than the silence that's appropriate on earth, Habakkuk 2.20. Let yourself be silent before God. Let God bring you the theme. Let God initiate the music. Let God speak the words. Silence is powerful when God's in control of it. Psalm 51:15. The psalmist says, "Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise." Do you realize the power of your words? The spoken ones and the ones that are harbored in your heart? Does God have editorial power over the liturgy of your heart? Does God have editorial power over the words that you speak and think, and meditate on, and the music that runs your life? Not just the literal music, but the theme, you know? Some of us have lived so long in a minor chord, we wouldn't know a major. It's time to change the music. Life is full of minors, but major in the majors. Some of us, are prone to speak when silence is best. There's power there. And some of us are prone to silence when we really need to speak. So I'll let the Holy Spirit do his work. Not a, not a work of condemnation, because that's not what the Holy Spirit does, but a work of invitation into a lifestyle, a liturgy, a powerful praising of God with the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart. Let's pray. Lord, we ask uh, for grace because we need it. James said, who can tame the tongue? Lord, we ask for grace and for power. Give us wisdom. Lord, open us up to others who will speak the truth to us in love. And Lord, would you give us uh, a new empowering by the Holy Spirit to walk in truth. The words in our heart, the words that come out of our mouth, the liturgy of our lives, the soundtrack. Lord, give us grace to uh, to speak encouragement and not major in sarcasm. And Lord, may the, the power of our words and the praise that's in our hearts ripple through our neighborhoods and our schools and this city and this state so people will know that Jesus reigns. We pray in his name. Amen.